Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Welcome everyone. Today we are talking to Manuka Hanare. Today we'll be looking at technology and culture, in particular that of the Māori culture in New Zealand. We also talk about understanding culture and the design of technology products, why it is important within a business to acknowledge cultural differences and try to understand those. We talk about these issues and much more. Hello my friends and welcome to another episode of The Human Show. We are here today with Manuka Henare, a Maori anthropologist historian. I'm looking forward to having a chat about all this beautiful world of anthropology and technology and Maori and everything in between. Hi Manuka. Hi. <laughs> nice to have you with us today. Thank you. So um, I'm, I'm just going to start right in and ask you to give me and our listeners kind of what would be your own definition of anthropology and technology? Um, well, um, an anthropologist is, um, is someone who studies people and their culture, but I'm particularly interested in what is it that people do with their cultures, what's of interest to me, and how do they um, transmit it, how do they change it? Because one of the wonderful things that um, people like to do is they will talk about their culture and their traditions and make it sound as if they haven't changed <laughs> changed much, but they're changing all the time. And um, my discernment is that when a change takes place, it immediately becomes a tradition. So they talk as if it's always, they've always been doing this. And so tradition, in this sense, my understanding of anthropology, particularly Maori and Pacific Islanders mm -hmm. and, and so on and so forth, the moment a new thing becomes a norm, it becomes a tradition. And that can be a matter of days, hours even, or years. Wow. Depends. It just depends. And then they will talk in such a way, we would talk in such a way as if we've always done this, even though it might only be a year old or 200 years old or whatever, you know. Um, and that's the... That's what I was getting at by um, saying that it's what people do with their culture that's of interest to me, uh, not how they tell you how they ought to be doing things. I want to know what are you actually doing. And um, quite a lot of anthropological writing, if I can critique it, is really a description of how people ought to be doing things. This tribe, But they don't use the word ought. They make it sound as if this is how it is. And then the, the, the link with uh, history is important because history is about, well, first of all, anthropology is about change in time and history is about change over time. And, um, and so the beauty of looking at things, anthropologist's point of view and the historian's point of view is you can, you can zoom in on change taking time, place in time like in, 18, in 1940 Māori did this, in 2000 mm -hmm. Māori did this. Um, and it all sounds very immediate. 
and then you can zoom back. Yeah, but a thousand years ago we were doing this, and um, so you're moving in and out of the, with this lens, looking at them, uh, the, what's happening now, and what used to happen, mm. and then bring them together and make it sound like that's how it's always been. So, so we're a culture that doesn't have disconnections with the past. In fact, we like to say we bring the past with us, mm. and and uh, the Maori expression is inga wau mua. Mm. So the past is never behind you. You lay it out in front of you. Mm. So you're walking into the past. Oh. And, the, and uh, so basically that means as you walk into the future, you're taking the past with you and creating a new past straight away. So you, and that way the tradition is retained mm-hmm. or developed or enhanced or an old tradition just dropped but immediately replaced with another one. But there's no cataclysmic kind of thing. Well, we drop that, we stop this. So it sounds like everybody's a historian then. Well, well absolutely right. And, and um, I think that's a more accurate description of what people do with their cultures. And um, But it's the historian's eye that enables you to see the change that's taken place. Because mm. sometimes people in the community don't know the change has taken place. All they notice is that their behaviour has been adapted and changed a little bit, you know. So um, I think that's the um, that's the beauty of the historian's eye, and and the beauty of the anthropologist's eye. You just see what people are doing, hmm. and compare that what they say they ought to be doing. I, I have a, a, a more of a personal question regarding this historian yes. bit, but I, I was thinking, should I ask it? But I will <laughs> because I. From my perspective, if I look at what my experience of a historian is in Western Europe, um, it's always been a a function of privilege. Yes. And that also defines the way you tell history. That's right. right. Um, I was wondering if there's something in the way the Maori community looks at a historian that is different, that kind of um, deals with privilege and who gets to tell which story and who, what gets to be seen as history and what gets to be forgotten um, that is maybe different? My sense is that the distinctions are not sharp. And why I say that is, is that it's really only 200 years since Māori engaged with Europe, uh, and that's really Anglo-Europe, mm-hmm. uh, but also for some Māori with um, French Europe. So I come out of the French side of it. Through the, um, through the Catholic Church, but also the French missionaries in, in the north. And so um, they, um, in taking on new ideas from, say, in terms of religious thinking, from traditional religion, which had no church building, no designated popes or bishops or mm-hmm. designated, but they had religious leaders, and those in the community knew who they were. They were called tohunga, and they were, and, but they were often chosen by the people there, you know, and it's all clipped closely in the tribal system. They became the holders of certain knowledge and certain truths mm-hmm. as uh, determined by the community. And uh, they were expected to, to retain the knowledge and teach it to others, to the children, to other old people, and so on and so forth. But always they had to check what they were putting out as history or religious insight closely with the community because if they got out of step then their standing would be diminished mm, okay. people said no that's not that's not us at all and um, so um, so that's still pretty strong today 
But again, we're talking only about 200 years. So um, when I was doing uh, ancient history, before I did Māori history, I was in Victoria University doing ancient history, and that's um, Islamic history from the time of Muhammad, Chinese history, Indian history. And um, I remember the professor, one of them was a Bengali professor, uh, he, he startled all the Māori in the, in the class and he would argue that uh, you don't have a history until you're at least a thousand years old. <laughs> and we're sitting there thinking, God, we've only been in New Zealand uh, a thousand years, you know. He says, yes, that's why you don't have a history. You're still modern. <laughs> <laughs> so his view is you're modern at a thousand, and only after a thousand then do you have this history. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that shook us up, but it got a lot of us thinking. Yeah, well, actually, that makes sense because when we talk about, uh, in, in, in Māori language, we make expressions about the past, and then we talk about the ancestors coming here, but we make it sound like they, they came in the aeroplane a week ago. We, in other words, we bring that past. It might have been for a thousand, three thousand years ago, but they bring it up and we talk as if they're always in the present. We don't use by past language that much, you see. So you've got to listen to these things, and then sometimes, as I've interviewed a lot of older people, then uh, when I was first starting out doing anthropological work and field work and history and stuff, you know, uh, I'd have to say, oh, Uncle, what period are you talking about? <laughs> oh, boy, I was talking about before your ancestors came here. Well, he made it sound as if they just... <laughs> 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 oh, oh, we're just checking, just checking, you know. Or, and uh, in the matter, no, I'm talking about what the ancestors did in 1840. Oh, so that that idea, and, and um, the the person who uh, the intellectual who helped clarify all that, of course, was Martin Heidegger. And Heidegger's um, Heideggerian notions of being in time, yes. and being with yes. others in yes. time, that yeah. profound stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very North Auckland Maori way of thinking too. So you're always tapu in time, and you're you're tapu with others in time and you spend all your life managing all these tapu relationships and in other words these relationships of being and and being is really about your potential to be some person yeah so then you're the holder of both your past and your future and your yes, present yes. in the same moment in the yes, same being the, the, the yeah. just, you're just juggling them all yeah it's not oh. linear so how does technology play into that for you and what is technology uh, first of all how would you define it um, it's, a, it's a funny word you, you use all the time, and everybody nods, yeah, 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 yeah technology, yeah, we, got, yeah, we use technology. And, if you, and, uh, and I started thinking as I was preparing for this, what is technology? You know, I know it's got something to do with the systematic knowledge, um, or systems of knowledge, embodied in some type of um, activity, um, or some type of thing, uh, a machine, some type of, of, of something like that. And um, so from that point of view um, of, of it being kind of a, a systems thing, then you can understand um, how different technologies are brought into uh, a society. For instance, steel mm-hmm. or um, had a huge impact on the carving sector for Maori. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to carve, as they did for thousands of years, with a stone adze, and um, it's slow and all this sort of thing. And along comes the steel, and suddenly you have this this um, adze, uh, this axe that doesn't get blunt. 
and you can do more things with it, mm-hmm. finer things, sharper things with it. And um, they literally dropped the old technology, the stone ads, and picked up this, the new one, the new yeah. technology. And I have never come across any evidence. There were big tribal meetings about what should we do, keep to the stone ads, X, or take the steel. They thought, this is bloody good, we'll take it. Yeah. And so they did. Um, the same thing with the, um, you know, these canoes, the carved canoes, which in their time were mag- magnificent things. Now they're artifacts that float around in water and take people out for special events. But the transition from... Waka to buying a sloop and different types of sailing vessels. That just the the speed in which that was done is remarkable. And again, I haven't come across evidence of whole tribal meetings saying, no, 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 we shouldn't hop on that schooner because it's not our technology, it's someone else's. Rather, they said, well, that works and we can put more potatoes and kumara, catch more fish on that one than this log of wood which we've carved and um, and is unstable in, in turbulent waters you know you can see where I'm going with this so so this I so Maori cultures and all of the Polynesian cultures are incredibly adaptive mm, pragmatic and, and functional pragmatic right? and adaptive yeah. and but then when they do the change they just say but this has been our tradition you know so what is the tradition Tradition. Well, the tradition is we've always been sailing. That's the tradition. What we are using for and sailing. And we use different yeah. technologies yeah. now to do the purpose of sailing and transport. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for cutting down trees. Mm-hmm. We've always cut down trees for our houses, for our canoes. And so that's, that's the tradition. And uh, so a stone axe, axe one day, the next day it's a steel one, the next day it's a, a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. And you're still now cutting the wood down for a meeting house, for a canoe, for your house, for timber. Yeah. Uh, and um, and you've kept the, um, you keep you kept on your practice of cutting down yeah. trees for yeah. timber. Yeah. What what does it say to new emerging technologies like this type of technology now that you do with coding and computer and um, and you know maybe even before this question I was wondering because you were talking about practice and tradition mm-hmm. and um, and the adaptability of the Maori culture mm-hmm. and that happens probably also when they know how to produce and reproduce that mm-hmm. technology themselves mm-hmm. right so there needs to be kind of like a cycle of learning yeah. you know how do we learn to do this how can we create a kind of a little production industry Mm. around it and how does this process work when we're talking about now digital technologies and coding and you know all of this world of um tech Mm. um well let me use the um the example of literacy Mm -hmm. right so for say a thousand years the form of literacy was things etched in wood carvings mm-hmm. or beautiful paintings of metaphors mm-hmm. or fi-fi patterns and people used to be able to read those and they walk into a carved meeting house, it was like going into a library stand there and be able to look at the carving oh, you don't know who the ancestor is and, and all that, so that's a form of literacy then um, the very first young Māori to start learning how to read and write involvement with, with uh, one of their very early missionaries they were learning a new set of symbols because writing is a form of symbols. 
much in the way as carving is about symbols. So they just switch from one form of symbolism to the written form. And for a long time, we, we know about for 30 years, the whole question of reading and writing um, was seemed to be slow in the uptake, then suddenly it just took off. So in less than 30 years, Māori became more literate than the English settlers who came here. They could read, write, Māori and in English, from the 1850s right through. So what are they doing? Well, a letter is like a carving. It's, it's some ideas put on paper and to be frozen in time. At a particular time, this person thought these things. That's what a letter is. That's what a diary is. Mm-hmm. You can see why historians love archives. Because here you have these ideas frozen in time. And you, often you can know that, uh, as I like to do, so when did Mario do this? Well, we saw, oh, it was raining on that day. That's why I can tell you it was raining on this particular day when they made a decision in 1840. Well, that just adds to the drama of the time. So here they were making important decisions in the pouring rain on to do with the treaty in some parts. You see, it just, to me, that just um, makes it real life stuff. Mm-hmm. And or it was cold, it was very hot. They had to stop because the fish were running, so they had to do the fishing and came back later to finish the discussion. It's all very dramatic, and that's what people do with them with their cultures, and, 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 and brings it closer, right? Because yeah, it makes yeah. it real right now in yes. the present, having yes. all that contextual information. So I think the question of literacy mm-hmm. um, became important, and um, the Maori sort of realised that they, because they could saw these new symbols, and those symbols had meaning, and the advantage they had with the writing, and I think this is why they liked it, they knew it was frozen in time. Mm-hmm. And the only way you got rid of these ideas was to burn the paper mm-hmm. or burn the book or lose it. What's interesting, though, is, um, and there's been some debate, I remember with uh, uh, Claudia Orange has been, I've been in discussion with, with them, um, Judith Binney. There's a big discussion as to about how do you treat oral traditions? Because the, all the work that we were doing as historians was getting interviewing people and they just spending hours telling you about things. So all that's happened is the oral tradition today is now in written form. It's mm-hmm. still an oral tradition, but it's in written form. And so this is highlighted for me in the Waitangi Tribunal hearings and in the, in the Ngāpui claims where we were giving, we were writing reports, 900-page reports, and was, we called them oral tradition. We call those reports oral traditions because they were the conversations of the ancestors, the uncles and aunties of today, and we just taped them, mm-hmm. typed them up, put a structure on it, and there they were. And uh, so we refer to those reports as oral traditions, but in written form. So what's really changed? The, may, the way of me- remembering the oral tradition. Wow. As you can, and there's a big difference. It wasn't just on people's hair. It's now it's frozen in time, mm-hmm. and so um, so you now get uh, uncles saying this and auntie saying that, and their thoughts are frozen in times. And so in later generations, people say, "Well, I know what my auntie thought in uh, 2010." Mm-hmm. Because look, here's who. Whereas before they thought, "Yes, so the people met, the old people met, and they all agreed to this, and that's about as much as you can go." Wow. So I, I would say, like, for me, like, this this type of special relationship that they have with time makes mm. them 
look at technology as a tool that you yes. use to always deal with something that has always been there and it's immutable to a yeah, certain extent right, because right. it's part of your essence. Yes, yes. Um, and I was wondering, what does that do to the concept of agency and power that exists between people and technology nowadays, especially in non-Maori cultures, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, I think the, yeah. the, the question there of agency is a, is a, is a critical one. And so... Um, uh, and this question of power comes in. So who, 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 who has the power to use mm-hmm. um, the oral traditions and the technologies that have maintained those oral yeah. traditions? Well, the, the norms that have applied before writing and, and recording still exist with some added things to be considered. Mm-hmm. You know, signing forms on, um, I, I approve the interview, you know. Uh, but um, well, that's only um, um, the same thing as that getting permission at a hui. Yeah, we give you permission to talk. So how um, does that work? So with cultures social... have yeah. methods of mm-hmm. of managing people, and the and the way they share their knowledge or give it away or keep it to themselves and this sort of thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. What? How does that work when you're using technology that is maybe produced? according to a different type of ideology. And I'm thinking now something like common like social media, like Facebook or Twitter. Um, how, how do you see that process? Well, I think there's a, the, the social media has enabled people to say how they feel. And I'm not sure that in articulating how they feel, they're telling you much about how much they know as opposed to I'm going down to here and the knowledgeable ones in our village who are going to tell us mm-hmm. about our ways of forms of behavior we should have. Mm-hmm. So, and, and what I think we're struggling with the whole social media um, thing and um, is what's important knowledge being transmitted in, in comments being made in the social media mm-hmm. over a football match or something like this. You know, so a lot of discernment, more discernment is necessary. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a greater need for the critical eye to be sharpened up again. So you know the difference between idle chatter mm-hmm. and informational conversation. Yeah. And how much would be the role of the technology itself to kind of aid in that? Doesn't that imply that there are rules being applied to certain technologies? Mm-hmm. And in those rules, that's how you manage it. Yeah. And uh, the question is, who sets the rule, who owns the technology, mm-hmm. and all those kind of things come in. There's a lot more complexity now. I think there's a lot more um, discernment needed. And you've got this tsunami of data or information, and it's difficult to know and what's real and what, or what's important. And it's always, it's always real because people say it. Yeah. But how factual is it and, you know, that kind of stuff, that's another question. So so that, that's that's why the discernment side of being human is very demanding at the moment. Mm-hmm. And do you know of Maori businesses that are kind of trying to develop technologies um, that kind of incorporate that? Um, yes, I think, um, I can't think of the companies at the moment, but I know of others who have been trying to to record things. Um, when we were doing the interviews for the Waitangi Tribunal mm-hmm. and we were t- using tape recorders and 
setups like this mm-hmm. to let the old people talk. That was very structured. Yeah. And um, in the end, we had to guarantee. They had to sign little documents about, yes, I freely did this, you know, which is they refused to sign. So we had to have a meeting about that. They told us, and so we signed. Who is held with 10 people, and they all agreed. And um, so as the historian or the anthropologist, we signed uh, on their behalf. Some people didn't like that, but you got to have evidence of that, in fact, I did meet these people in the village. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the old day, remember the old anthropologist used to, yeah, used to walk into a village and a year later come out and have about 10 notebooks and copious notes of conversations he or she had. Mm-hmm. And that was the evidence. And um, But often the, the community would endorse the fact that the visiting, the stranger, lived among them for this time. And in a way, that was the approval. Mm-hmm. It still takes place today. So oral traditions and oral accounts are still considered as oral, even though it's in written form or it's on tape or it's on a CD-ROM, mm-hmm. or it's in a video, or it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So the new technologies have really enhanced the capabilities. Mm. But the enhancement of those capabilities, as I said earlier, requires a lot more discernment, yeah. knowing between what's rubbish yeah. or silly talk, idle chatter, uh, yeah. and serious uh, serious yeah. uh, 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 conversational stuff. You know, And also what... What type of ideology drives the development yep. of that product or business in the first yes, place, right? Because yes, yes. if you start from that position that yes. we need to build something that enables this oral tradition to yes. to manifest itself in a better way, in a more productive way, in a no, yep. then that will shape a piece of technology very different than if you say we want a social network or we want a means to distribute information where yep. Yep. you put the tool first and not what it needs to do. For years, I worked um, on the the wonderful writings of uh, Elsden Best mm-hmm. and his recordings of the ancestors in his time, the beginning of the 19th century and so on and so forth. And we have these wonderful books. When I put them in the bibliog- in the reading list for my postgrad students, they have a discussion as to how to read Elsden Best's recordings of what ancestors said. Mm-hmm. There's a school there. And a discernment is necessary. Mm-hmm. So he would faithfully, I think, I believe, record. I met the, the leader of the, mm-hmm. the village and he told me this is the creation story. This is where that tribe came from. And I recorded it. And by and large, he proved to be reasonably accurate if this is what so-and-so said. But every now and again, he would put in, but that can't be right. Well, that can't be correct because of this. And so you've got to um, say to your students, well, when you read Elston Best and you're looking for your ancestral accounts, read carefully, mm-hmm. but you can ignore whose throwaway lights. <laughs> and that's his problem. You know, They can't possibly believe in that. Well, you can just throw that away because he's just recorded what it is they said they believed. And then he's saying, but they can't possibly believe that. So, mm. And that's an outsider wrestling in their mind, mm. listening to some extraordinary story of creation and how, the, and, and how the people came to be in the Pacific and so on and so forth, and, 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 and disagreeing with them. 
and and so that that's a skill needed, a discernment needed. I call it discernment needed. Uh, and I'm listening to the news. Mm. Um, so, is this a skill that is kind of taught in, according to you, in anthropology, or? Um? I, th I believe it's 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 been coming up, and also in history, but in other mm -hmm. in other disciplines. I like to emphasize it because all my students, by and large, are Maori, mm -hmm. and um, and they're all mature in their four, mid forties, and some older and some bit younger, and so they're in leadership roles. And they're studying anthropology, right? And that, and, and um, well, we just call it a business course, but mm -hmm. it's actually an anthropology course mm -hmm. it's because it's about the culture. How do people make decisions? How do they organize themselves yeah. into governance bodies, management bodies, and and, and structure and yeah. ran the economy and did their things? Um, <clears throat> so, um, so all that's normative stuff, mm. really, um, and we're trying to understand. Why is it that a um, hundred years ago we used to catch fish this way, and now we were using modern-day trawlers with sea lords and so on and so forth? You mm -hmm. know? Um, and um, and how would you see? How do you see them speak to the value of anthropology in their day-to-day um, -day work? Um, well, anthropology helps you understand mm -hmm. the day-to-day -day things. Yeah. And that's that's why a training in, in anthropology, mm -hmm. the training and studying how people manage and look after and run their culture, that training to know when they're talking about this is how we ought to be living and here's yeah. how we're actually living. Are. Mm -hmm. Those are the skills of the anthropologist to know the difference. It's not the job of the anthropologist to highlight the contradictions. Yeah, That's another discussion. And do you see them recognizing that and, you know, um, seeing with more clarity? Oh, well, you know, over the years I've read so many anthropologist books from anthropology done in the continent of Africa, mm -hmm. anthropology done throughout Asia and also Maui. And you very quickly begin to appreciate the difference in anthropological styles. So I think the Anglo world, um, in my mind, is a lot more judgmental mm. uh, about or has been a lot more judgmental about understandings of historical experience and the, there's a tendency of some of the Anglo writers in Africa and other places to be um, correcting the native informant yeah uh, what you mean is this mm -hmm. or what they mean is this well Which is in itself a relationship uh, of power. Yeah, that, you're, you're editing. Mm -hmm. You're, you're um, what, what's the thing? You're um, censoring um, or silencing. Yeah, yes, mm. yeah, yes. You're now moved out of mm. um, the informant is telling me this, yeah. and I'm recording it, and it's uh, their story. So um, I think the um, I like to think that Maori anthropologists um, tend to be. A lot more circumspect about that. Well, this is what they say, and um, while I know that the Hokianga is the centre of the universe, but if someone in Wellington says down there, it's not for me to say they're wrong, is to note that that's what their belief system says. Yeah, you know, so you keep yourself to yourself, mm. <laughs> and uh, well, that's what you have to do, both as a historian and anthropologist. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel like that's kind of like a lifetime process. Oh, oh it is. Yes, and. Um, 
the anthropologists started in the Anglo world and the French world and as professional uh, behaviour. And it was always comparative. So you were studying the mm -hmm. other yeah. and relating it to you. And um, the Māori anthropologist is different. Māori is not an outsider. The Samoan anthropologist, the Hindu anthropologist, the Muslim anthropologist, they're no longer outsiders. They're insiders mm -hmm. reflecting on their own. And there's a different dynamic there. Mm -hmm. And you're free to critique because you belong to that community. Whereas normally, um, and if you go, if you're an outsider going into someone else's world, you listen to what they say, but you keep your critiques to yourself. And that's the difference between the, this is the insider-outsider thing that comes up, you know. Um, in this day and age, I, I would think that um, it's prudent now to, to let people know I'm an outsider going into someone else's community mm -hmm. or I belong to this community so therefore I'm an insider and so objectivity is not the issue is my capability right? to get people to tell the story the mm -hmm. narrative but I don't believe in that objectivity is way too much is made of of, of being objective uh, rather the emphasis should be are you capable of helping someone tell the story, their story. Mm -hmm. And and you can be as subjective as you like mm -hmm. as long as you help them tell their story. Yeah. And you can keep yourself to yourself. You know. mm. Yeah. Hard, hard job. Oh, it's all. Hey, we're human <laughs> beings. We always want to intervene. And, yes, and, yes. And, you know. I was wondering, because you're mentioning that a lot of your students are um, more mature. Mm. And for for our listeners that are maybe um, at the beginning or younger on that path of figuring out, you know, um, and maybe not having experience in the workspace at all and figuring out, well, well with anthropology, should I be st staying in academia? Should I be going outside there trying mm. to use anthropology in the workspace? Mm. What would you have as an advice to kind of help them aid in that reflection? Well, um As I said, the average age of my students over the last 20 or 30 mm -hmm. years has tended to be late 30s, early 40s as an average, mm -hmm. you know. And um, so you're, you're talking here with, about adults. Mm -hmm. And adult learning and adult education is right. very different. Mm -hmm. People coming come with vast experiences. What they may not have done, and this has been my experience, is reflected on their experiences. So um, in terms of the Māori business programs, which is largely historical, um, I try to arrange these seminars and so on so they, they start reflecting on it. Mm -hmm. And not only them, but their uncles and their aunties. Why do you think, that, what was going on there? What were the values they were using? And how is that different today? You know, and, you, and, and just so they start thinking thinking through this thing and we can keep one of the tyrannies of, of, his, of his, historical um, um, methods is people who um, read history backwards so they write history in terms of the present mm -hmm. and make the same well see the ancestors are doing exactly what we're doing now which is in my mind in the Maori world is thoroughly bad Because if you're going to listen to the voices of the ancestors, then you keep your voice out of it. Mm -hmm. And you listen to the voices of the ancestors. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, that's the name of our little program for our business school, listening to the voices of the ancestors. Mm -hmm. And um, 
we've had some wonderful um, examples of our masters and PhD students, largely from overseas, who have done interviews. Um, I remember one occasion, um, some interviews um, of a, um, a First Nation person from um, from Canada was interviewing a story on Ngati Hine and their ancestors mm-hmm. on Ngati Hine. And, um, and so she interviewed the carving up in, 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 in Mototau Marae at the party, at the uh, meeting house there. And the way she interviewed the carving was she asked various people in the present to talk about the ancestor. So Pitta Tipene was one. He talked about the ancestors of Ngati Hine. And um, so that was her speaking because he was saying this is what she did this is what she taught us, mm-hmm. this is the way she wanted us to behave. So he, he was transmitting On her behalf. ideas. Mm-hmm. So we took that as her interviewing the ancestor. So right throughout Polynesia, when you're in those, when you're, when you're put in a situation like that, you, you're not you, you are a we. Mm-hmm. So you, you talk differently about mm-hmm. um, I. And the ease in which some people do that is marvelous because mm. it's so normative. Yeah, to switch, you know. and it shows how connected they are to the collective consciousness of, yes, yes, of the yes, 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 social group. Mm. That's right, and um, and so I mean, it's much the same with with, with a lot of um, with, with a lot of my history, because I like to be there in 1834 when they chose the flag of 1834 be there in 1835 when they declared independence and talk like you're in there. Mm-hmm. But then you've got, to, you've got to really understand your ancestors. To be able to speak to on their behalf. Of, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and then you've got to come out of it. But Heidegger points us out, this moving between the past, the present, and the future is um, once you know what you're doing, uh, it's, you just, you, we, we do this as humans anyway. Yeah. But to be consciously doing it is another thing. And in our form of, I hadn't thought of it like this, but I think our, it's, it's our, our form of, another form of leadership training to be consciously aware of when you're talking about the past, you're in the past. When you're talking about the present, you're in the present. And when you're going to talk about the future, you're also in the future. Yeah. And I, I was thinking actually that if you manage to navigate that properly, then the choice of the career, next career, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Should I move between this or that? Becomes much more fluid and natural. Yes. And without not so many um, question marks, I would say. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. What would that special relationship with time and collective identity versus individual individuality um impact the way the Maori community does business, but also how they relate to um, the non-Maori business community here in New Zealand and the Crown? I believe that the critical Maori, the Maori who's thought things through, aware of mm-hmm. what they're doing and saying, are able to discern this is the way the Pākehā think and say they do their things and being accurate in the way of saying this is what I believe they're thinking and how they think and why they made decisions this way. We don't agree with it, but that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in my seminars, I don't accept the throwaway lines, oh, well, that's a Pākehā way of thinking mm-hmm. and that's not good enough. So what is it that, 
what is that part of your thinking you're telling us about and push them to identify it, Understand articulate it, it mm-hmm. so that they themselves can then move in and out. Yeah. And this is how yeah. of people, the dominant culture, this is how they think. Right? Now, I, then you can say, now I don't go along with that because I think we should be doing this. Yeah. But you, you're moving in and out yeah. of these spaces and making it clear to the listener mm. what space you're in at any given time. Is there any blurring of the lines as they start working together or building up common interpretation of um, a phenomena? Hmm. Maybe there's something paradoxical about it all. I think the um, the lines are becoming very clear. So I'm arguing that it's not a blurring. They know when they're moving over this way and moving over it. Mm-hmm. Mari like to keep that dis- that knowing that distinction very clear mm-hmm. because. I notice, um, and it happens in in my classes, if someone's saying talking, like, you know, as if, then they'll be pulled up, who are you talking for? What's your authority? Are you you sharing an experience of what Parkes did to you or said to you? Or was that the real you? Mm -hmm. And um, so when in the group, in the class group, because we do a lot, I have to do a lot of group work on this. They have to be, they say, become self-critical and being critical of others, what they say, by simply understanding what they're saying, and then you can evaluate it. So, mm, okay, that's what they say. That's what they believe. And, and um, uh, I try to um, in my own classes, I try to encourage them not to get into who's right and wrong. And just that there are different ways of knowing, different ways of understanding mm-hmm. the past. And, and even if you think they're wrong, that's how they think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then you don't, you don't need to get into your who's right and who's wrong. You may beg to differ. And and some and you should say, that, mm-hmm. well, I don't agree with you on this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, however... Manuka, our time is actually almost okay. up, right? Well, then, um, thank you so much for it's being right. with us today and uh, great conversation about yeah anthropology and time and business <laughs> and technology. <laughs> I love it and I hope yeah. our listeners like it just yes, as much. Uh, I hope so too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay, thank you very much. Kia ora koutou. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.